0: Hello and welcome to an hour from tower podcast, the podcast that brings you the people and personalities of the College of Saint Scholastica. I'm here today with Kelly Durick Eater. She is our associate professor of biology and also Title IX coordinator here at the college. So, welcome to the podcast, Kelly.
1: Thanks, Nate. It's great to be here today. Yeah, Isn't good, that that, that's the line you're supposed to stay, right?
0: I well, again, <laughs> fake it till you make it. Right? So, hopefully, you're happy to be here, but <laughs> right? but uh, certainly certainly glad to, to to have you on the on the on the cast here, but. Um, Again, I'm really looking forward to this. You're one of my favorite people here so far since I started here for a variety of different reasons, and I think some of that'll come out in the conversation today. So um, I, I love everybody here too. Now I'm going to get you know emails and hate mail that that I'm, I'm picking favorites. But, well,
1: I am wonderful. I, you know, just ask me; I'll tell you anytime.
0: You and my daughter should get together. She continually tells me how great she is. Um, as we start every podcast, Kelly, talk a little bit about your journey to Saint Scholastica. Kind of, you know what. What puts you here at this time staring at me and being on this podcast?
1: That'd be great. Well, I'll start way back. So I grew up in Bismarck, North Dakota. Um, So I graduated high school from there. And then I went on to St. Olaf College, which is a fellow MIAC school. But I am staunchly on Team Scholastica right now. So that's important. I got my um, biology degree there at at, um, St. Olaf College. And at the time, I kind of was like, oh, maybe I want to be a physician. Maybe I want to be a vet. What do I want to do? And I never quite had the grades to do it. So I left, once I graduated, I went back to Bismarck. I worked in an environmental chemistry lab. Then luckily I got a job at the University of North Dakota Medical School for a gentleman named Dr. David Bradley. And I worked as his lab tech for probably a couple years and then um, mentored some graduate students through his lab. And I was like, hey, I can do that. So I went to graduate school for immunology and microbiology did that. It was great fun. Probably the most fun time in my life was graduate school. It was just a blast. Because at that time, like you can be totally selfish and focus on what you want to do, what you're thinking. You have absolutely no schedule. You just kind of focus on your education and growing up a little bit. I graduated from um, University of North Dakota. I met my husband. We got married. And then I got a postdoc at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital first in their immunology department, and then in their infectious disease. I worked for two great scientists there, lived there for six years, taught at a community college in Dyersburg, Tennessee, just had a great experience. Memphis and Bismarck, North Dakota couldn't be two places that are farther apart. And just the way that they look and where they're located and just culture-wise, it was such an amazing experience. Memphis continues to be one of my favorite cities. And then I got a professor job at Briarcliff College in Sioux City, Iowa, which is a Franciscan. run, Started and um, still with the Franciscan sisters there. They were out of Dubuque, Iowa. And that's really where I started to learn sort of this revolutionary. Um, those Franciscan sisters are quite a bunch of women, right? They're kind of the the revolutionary ones. They kind of... Are outside that box a little bit when you think of those Catholic sisters so it was a great time to work for Briarcliff but this opportunity at Scholastica came up and we just wanted to get back to Minnesota so badly um, so along the way I had a couple kids we moved up here and started here in biology and I worked um, teaching graduate stu- students human anatomy transitioned into undergraduate taught um, immunology, and then our former Title IX coordinator, Missy Wachke, asked me to be assistant or a deputy Title IX. So I did that, and then Missy went on to Greener Pastures to work for the Office of Higher Education here at the state of Minnesota, and then I decided to step into Title IX, which is a very different role than biology. What I was doing previously, just a different way to serve students, but it's been... um, it's tough to say you like Title IX, but it's been really rewarding work so far. That's my kind of my story.
0: Yeah, so you know, I think a lot of people think of Title IX in terms of athletic mm-hmm. um, Title IX and yeah. you know opportunities for women and those kinds of things, but. Your work obviously, you know, addresses and keeps an eye on that yep. aspect of Title IX, but there's many other aspects of Title IX. For those that don't know, really everything under that Title IX umbrella, can you can you help under people understand that?
1: Sure, Title IX is this amazing um, group of words that talks about making sure everybody has equal access to their education, regardless of their gender, and then many other things. Um, and so, what that means in my role here at Scholastica's, I do work with um, athletics for Title IX, but that is covered by our athletic director, Jessica Cherry, and our assistant athletic director, Saesti Diedrich. They really know that piece of Title IX way better than I do. My work, I spend a lot of time supporting students who are survivors of um, sexual assault or gender-based violence and helping them make sure that they can access their education, giving them supportive services for their classes, just being there um, to help them navigate through a process if they want to be a part of that process, or just really being that support person there to make sure that they can complete their academic career here at Scholastica. So I spend a lot of time doing that and also time looking at policy, making sure our Title IX policy fits where it needs to be, um working and doing education around title IX with departments and faculty and staff and students working a lot with michelle russett clee she's our vip violence intervention prevention specialist um zach babcock for security just working across a lot of different departments and student affairs so that's what i spend most of my time doing sure
0: go back to you know you mentioned you know growing up in in north dakota and you know, I, I think there's always a push to try to have more women get into STEM fields. So, mm-hmm. you know, interest in biology and, and science yeah. areas, was that always there? Was it something that, you know, came along while you were in high school? I mean, I would imagine, you know, like in most STEM fields, you know, fewer women than yeah. men in some of these things. I, I just, how did you become interested in, sure. in biology?
1: So my mom is a biochemist, Um which she will gladly tell you all the time about how much biology is really chemistry, but that's just because she's, you know, a little bit biased. So I always had this great influence in my life. My mom got her master's degree from the University of Nebraska in biochemistry and then taught at a community college for like 35 years. So I've always known that this was a possibility. We always, um, my mom and I always would talk about science together. She's a really smart um, woman. She actually has pub- published in Nature, which Nature Science, oh my gosh, science. Um, so you can go back and I have her paper that she published there. Um, when she was a biochemistry student getting her graduate degree, I think she was like the only woman probably in that program. Um, when she went to defend her master's thesis, she had one of her committee members who was clearly um, you know, being sexist said, Why should we pass this? What does this even mean? How does this, you know, enhance the field of science? And to know my mother is really funny because she shot back, Well, clearly the editors at Science thought it was good enough, so I think it'd be good enough for you. And she said, He just kind of sat back and kept his mouth shut. But it was just a different time for women then. Um, in science, and it has really evolved. When I went to graduate school for immunology and microbiology, we were about 50-50, 50% 50 men, 50% women in the graduate students, but I only really had one female faculty member in the department. So hopefully that is continuing to change. If you look at the biology department here, we are a majority department of women. Um, So a lot of biology departments, a lot of biology graduate programs, you're starting to see their majority women and hopefully soon we'll see as turnover happens in the fa- faculty ranks, we'll see that more equally reflected is that the faculty look like the students that they're serving.
0: Yeah, I think it what makes you, what I admire about you and I think what makes it really um, a good match with your role I think is that fierce focus on equity and yeah equality and you know all of those kinds of things and we're going to come back to that in a variety of different roles that you have in your life um yeah. you know kind of what that looks like a little bit later you know the title nine work that you do in in cases and unfortunately we don't have mountains of <laughs> them here which is which is again very fortunate but you know when they do happen they're they're pretty intense right there's yep. a lot of emotion these subjects are you know again very traumatic for yep. both uh, you know, the, the, the complainant and, and, and for the, and for the, for, for, for all parties. Yeah. Um, so it's intense work for you. How do you, how do you manage all of that? Right. How do you, how can you keep yourself, um, centered with that type of work?
1: I'm figuring that out right now. It's kind of learning on the go. Um, when I'm with students and I'm in that support role, my main sort of focus is, them is how can I facilitate what they need me to do. It's not to get emotional. It's not for them to take on how I feel and feeling about the situations. It's for the, me to be steady, me to be calm, me to be kind and caring. All those Benedictine values, right? Like respect, stewardship, hospitality is especially important when you're doing this work is that concept of being hospitable and being kind and open um, with students. And then, you know, again, right? We listen with the ear of our heart. So we make sure to listen to students and find out what they need and give them space and grace in this process. And the biggest thing is making sure that they feel like they have some control over what happens next, right? Because a lot of, they've lost control in the situation. So it's important for me that they feel that control come back to them that they get to make decisions, they get to talk about and tell me what is best for them. So that's really what I concentrate on doing is making sure that I'm serving them the best way that I possibly can. And that goes for both parties involved. Um, In the role of Title IX, it's not my job to render a judgment on what happens. We have a whole process for that. We have investigators and we have decision makers that if these cases go through our process, they do the investigation, then the decision makers make the decision. And the Title IX, or my role, is really to shepherd the process through so that it's fair, and then also to make sure that I'm serving the needs of both the complainant and the respondent in the process.
0: Yeah, it's intense work. Yeah. Sometimes I often think you know again i've I've fallen into this wonderful profession um, yeah. you know that's a, a whole nother story on how it happened for me but um you know if you weren't doing this work, what do you think you'd be doing
1: huh that is such a good question if i <laughs> I don't know what I would be doing. That's a good question. Like I'd always wanted to have a flower shop and I like to garden and I like stuff like that. Um, So maybe that, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. I think, you know,
0: when you, you talked about getting involved in infectious disease and those kinds of things. And you think about, you know, the COVID situation and, and, and whatnot. I, I'd imagine, you know, again, maybe it would be just as intensive work, right? I think yeah. I always think God puts people in places that can handle the intensity and I think Agreed. there's certainly one that can do that. But um you know, I'd imagine everything that's going on with COVID and, and that old situation, when you think about biology and science yeah. overall, you know, you've been out of the day-to-day classroom work for a while, yeah. but it has to have been something really interesting for yeah. scientists to study and do work in. And I don't yeah. know if we've done some of that here or not.
1: But. Huge amounts of work. When I was a postdoc at St. Jude, um, we did – St. Jude has this world-renowned center that looks at, inf- like, influenza and some of those other respiratory diseases. So that was really fun to see how those vaccines are put together. I've done a little bit of work on vaccines, and um, honestly, at the start of COVID, when they talked about a vaccine, I was like, you know, buckle in, everybody. It's going to take us a couple years to be able to get some sort of vaccine. And it was just mind-blowing to me how quickly they utilized technology and put forth this amazing vaccine that's helped so many people. but it is really intense, especially when, you, when you're doing that work on disease. It's because you know that there is an outcome that you're trying to get to, which is to prevent and cure disease. Yeah. And St. Jude really focused on that because it was children's cancer and diseases that affected children. Yeah,
0: You know, and a lot of the stuff that you've talked about thus far, I mean, really at the heart of all of this is being an educator, yeah. Right. For sure. Uh, you know, whether you're in the classroom or again working with again Title IX cases, it's it's yep. it's, it's, it's about education. So, um, one of the things you do outside of your work here is at, you're on the school board here in Duluth. Yeah. Um, that's been relatively new. So again, around education, yeah. um, you know, talk a bit about your our observation over the arc of your career how you've seen education change, how you've seen student changes, the dynamics. I mean, what's, like right now, what's the big things at play that you tackle at the school board level and then here at the college level, and are there similarities between those?
1: Yeah, it's fun to look at that, talk about policies and issues that are with our pre-K and our Head Start kids, and then thinking about how that moves all the way into um, higher education, so there's a, a quote that when I was um, thinking about school board and that I keep centered to myself when I think about the work I do on the school board and then I work th- the work that I do here by um, Pope Francis, which is this idea of education being act, being an act of love from one generation to the next and then an also an act also an obligation from one generation to the next and that really keeps me focused. When you think about education as love, it really shifts the frame, right? instead of this idea of classrooms having to be these punitive places that are focused on the teacher as opposed to the student it puts that lens on the student right how do you show love in your life which is love should be unselfish right it shouldn't have bias associated with it it should be um, unending right there shouldn't be a bottom to it it should be expansive it should be kind it should listen all these things when you think about expressions of love and so that's how i think about education is how do we fulfill that obligation to the next generation but do it in a way that is an expression of love and kindness so putting that focus on the student what is their needs coming out of the pandemic our and our college kids are no different. Our students need a lot of love right now. They need a lot of kindness and they need a lot of space and grace. I have full faith that kids can, I don't even want to say recover learning loss because that sort of puts the problem on the kids. Like, oh, you lost this learning over this time. How could you? But I want to you know, we need to give them time to catch up. We need those social emotional things. They need to catch up on all that. So if we keep this idea of education as love, then we give them time to catch up. They'll catch up. I have really a lot of faith in kids, but we just have to make sure we have structures where we allow them that time to catch up and grow.
0: Yeah, and well, you know, I I, you, I I totally agree with all of it. And I yeah. think it's a great vision thinking about education being love. I I, I yeah. it's really just such a great image. You know, I think there's been a lot of um, a lot of narrative around K twelve and even higher ed around getting back to basics. Right, we just need yeah. to get back to reading, writing, and arithmetic yeah. and all of that. Um, wh- you know, how how would you? counter that i mean there can still be love within getting back to those basics yeah but, but I, I but i think there's I, again there's different camps and i'm not saying what's right or wrong like Yo, i mean yeah. this isn't a political podcast no yeah out loud, but but you know what what do you say to those that are just like yeah you know what we can't handhold we gotta have expectations those kinds of things how do you how do you balance the, those two
1: it's so funny because um Teaching and education is this profession that everybody has had a ton of time in, right? Like you grow up sitting in a classroom, observing teachers and being part of a system. Um, And then everybody feels like, okay, well, since I did it, you know, it should look, not everybody, but people, okay, it should look exactly how it looked when I did it. Well, these kids are really different. And every profession needs to evolve and change. And I think what's important in education now is because we have access and we carry around all of human knowledge in our phones, is that we start thinking about education as maybe there's content pieces that you can never not learn, right? Basics, reading, writing, arithmetic, whatever. But then there's also how do we teach kids to use information? How do we teach kids to make sure the information that they're using is valid, is correct? And then how do we teach them um, to use that information that they have at their fingertips to synthesize it all and then be problem solvers, be innovative? I think in the K through 12 system now, I think there are really a lot of teachers that work hard on that. Um, teaching to the kids they have, not to the kids that they wish they had. Um, And then in, in the college classroom, it's really the same. You know, there's very few classrooms anymore that you come in and you have that sage on the stage. Kids aren't interested in that. Students don't need that anymore. What they need is for you to help them figure out how to gather information, synthesize it, and then use it. So I think that's where education is going, that rote memorization pieces, I don't know that they're that useful anymore versus being able to gather information, figure out, discern information, and then use it um, to solve problems. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I you know I I uh, it's that's it, an interesting phrase to teach teach and 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 work with the students you have not that you wish you that you, you wish had. you had yeah that you wish yeah. you had is 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 good and I know when I had a stint on a school board as well right in I think tackling those types of things also too just um, how we support teaching and teachers as a profession right um you know my wife is an educator and um lots of good friends that are but you know the the intensity of that work and sometimes it's going beyond being an educator but also being a parent and a therapist and a support and all of that but you know i worry a bit about the profession now you know those wanting to get into it feeling just all of those pressures agreed
1: um I read a great little quote and it's, I can't remember the name of the individual, but what we learned about public schools and colleges, public universities, private universities, what we learned about our education system is that they really, when they're, when people aren't showing up to those classrooms and showing up to those schools and those schools shut down, we lost a social service. Right. Because a lot of students, whether it's a second grader or a junior in college, when they go to school, that's where they find things like their health care, their therapists, their food, their clothes and their support system. And when those were taken away, we just learned how important schools, whether it's elementary school or a college, how important those schools are to deliver social services to the to the populations that they serve. Mm So teachers take a lot on, schools take a lot on, but teachers are incredibly innovative and thoughtful and student-focused, the vast majority of them. So I have a lot of faith that while we're in a, we're, I'd say we're coming out the other side, right? Yeah. Um, I think now teachers have time to figure out how to solve some of those big problems in their classroom and then show how amazing and rewarding their profession really is. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and the work that they do in this case, you know, being a servant leader and, yeah. and doing the service is, is so important. And I want to talk a bit with you about um, leadership. So, you know, some things that. Uh, you know, that, that you say about yourself, you know, just seeing on, on Twitter, and I love, you know, I think, difficult wife, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> um, I, I'm a difficult husband, so, again, something we share, share and comment. Right? But, you know, boy mom, yep. you know, hockey mom. Hockey mom, and
1: big time. So uh,
0: it, let's talk a little bit about, well, first off, hockey, We've it's been a theme, a couple of different people here. Yeah. Ali, you know, last week, talking about hockey. Like I still don't get it. I mean, I you know I, lo- yeah. I love athletics, but I don't. I still don't know the rules of hockey. Yeah. And things. But I know something that I understand and know about hockey moms. They're made of tough stuff, yeah. Right? They're tough, and I would say you're tough. If I'm starting a hockey team, you're on my front line. Yep. Okay, so is that the right <laughs> term? I didn't even admit it. Yeah,
1: I'd be on. I'd be a defenseman, right yeah, on yeah, the right, line. Right. All right. right yeah.
0: So, but um, so leadership, I think right now is really tough. Yeah. Um, and decisive leadership, strong leadership. Tell tell me a bit about your leadership, right, and approach. Um, over the over the years what you've been taught about leadership maybe great great leaders that you've been around and what you've learned from
1: them yeah great leaders hold themselves accountable um and they're not i don't want to say they're not like everybody makes mistakes i make mistakes constantly and it's what I've had to work really hard doing through my life is like swallowing that pride piece and just being like, pride, go over here for a little bit. I don't need you right now. What I need is to be humble and I need to listen. Um, You know, the first year, the first college course I ever taught, I thought I was just like absolutely amazing and entertaining. And then you get those course reviews back and you're like, wah, wah, right? (laughs) So it's humbling. You have to have that it's like this mix of humble and hubris cuz you have to have the the strength and the character to make the decisions and to live with what the outcomes are but you also have to have that humble piece where you can recognize mistakes and figure out how to do it better next time. Especially when you like school board decisions you make and or I make and 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 stuff like those t- Types of decisions. It's like you know that there's a little bit of harm every time you make a decision, especially when it comes to like things like budgets. You know, budget shrink. You have to make these really difficult decisions, and you have to accept the harm and and the bad pieces of those decisions, accept responsibility for those just as much as you accept the success. And it took me a long time because I. I go to anger. I go to pride. I go to all these places when I need to, like, just sit down and be humble and and think about the actions, how they're perceived, and how they can cause harm or can cause good, and just accept it and take the responsibility.
0: Mm-hmm. Are there leaders that you've that you've witnessed? I mean, you mentioned probably you know some really great influential people in your life. I mean, obviously your mom yeah, was hugely mom. Yep. influential. Um, are there others that come to mind where you're like, I mean, they, they helped you lay your own foundation, um, witness really good leadership?
1: Yeah. So I, um, growing up in North Dakota, I rode horses my whole life. Um, just so you guys all know, you are listening to the North Dakota high school rodeo queen runner up <laughs> from 1994. Um, the The gentleman that I worked with all of those years that taught me how to rope calves, run barrels, all that stuff like that. Um, his name was Lee Selland, and he was really formidable in giving me that grit and that strength and just being able to battle through really difficult situations. And the other piece is that nothing can make you more humble than dealing with an animal, right? Mm-hmm because they can make you look really silly, or they can make you look really great. I was fortunate to have a really fantastic horse that I rode for four years, very close. I went to the National High School Rodeo Champion um, in Oklahoma and Wyoming, and did well with him. And I was out practicing one day, and my coach Lee was there, and there were other people, and they were watching me. And the horse took a really just a hard turn, and I was showing off a little bit letting pride and everything get in my way and i just face first in the dirt right all these people watching me and this horse and then i just face planted and i remember my <laughs> coach yelling across at me something and just like having to pick myself up and like look at all these people with just a face full of dirt and then my horse over on the other end of the arena like chewing on grass being like haha nerd I got one over on you <laughs> So that was somebody who was important to me because taught me toughness, taught me grit, helped me learn how to put my pride away. And then I could be more open to figure out how do you lead. I watch my mom a lot, my dad a lot. And, of course, there's um, people like I went to St. Olaf College. I remember seeing Paul Wellstone come through. Just a lot of different, different people like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Rodeo queen though. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to look at you again and not think of rodeo queen. How did you get into that? I mean, is that did you grow up on farm or wild animals and things? Yep.
1: Um, I first time I ever got on a horse was probably two years old. You know, yeah. So my mom, um, we grew up on a. I grew up on a little place outside of Bismarck, North Dakota. Had horses my whole life. Did rodeo rode hunter jumper horses i've ridden all in all different types of horses all different types of saddles um 4-h ffa that whole piece of my life was really important and really formative and those leadership qualities and strengths that i've focused on in my life a lot of it came out of things like ffa and 4-h because they really do focus on that type of stuff so that was a lot of fun Saint Olaf College did not have a rodeo team, so I did not continue my career into college. Um, I rode a little bit in high school, but it's been a long time. My mom's eighty, and she still rides, so wow. it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, you mentioned the 4-H and FFA, and I, I was grew up around family farms too, and yeah. you know, kind of was adopted into some of those with my friends' families mm-hmm. that were involved in them. Um, you have younger. Kids right yeah. now, right, and yep. I don't think they're, you know, roping cabs in Duluth, no. right? But, um, but involved in youth hockey and, yep. and things like that, you know, talking about leadership, talking about grit, and I love that word grit. I do know, too. The fact that you said it, I mean, I just, I just love that word. Um, how, how do you help them navigate? growing into a leader like your mom yeah. did for you. Um, how are the experiences that they have helping them understand and learn those things?
1: Yeah, it's, it's. I think, um, for my, my boys who are both really different um, from one another. So, like, my oldest is very athletic, loves hockey, loves lacrosse, wants to be a downhill skier. Like, if there's something where it goes fast or he can get hit, then he just... <laughs> adores it right (laughs) and then my youngest is really bright but really sort of reticent and quiet and doesn't like the spotlight so it's just right now at this age with both of them it's teaching them how to like deal with their feelings not take their feelings out on others Um, with sports it's an easy it's an easier place to teach things like leadership because you can talk about team dynamics, you can talk about picking yourself up, you can talk about all those things with, and I do talk about that with Keegan a lot. Um, And my youngest one, it's a little different. I haven't quite cracked him yet to figure out, you know, I I work a lot with him on just being a little bit more brave, you know, that Mm -hmm. he gets nervous about what the consequences might be, and it's like you – don't worry so much about the consequences, maybe have fun on the journey a little bit. Mm -hmm. So we talk a lot about that. And then it's just living, you know, my husband and I try to live our life in a way that, you know, we want our kids to see commitment to community, kindness, um, thoughtfulness, open-mindedness, open-heartedness, all those things like that at this age. And then you know, having them acknowledge their peers around them when, when, when they have their friends that are good leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's th- those messages and with everything else that they have access to now, yeah. you know, sending lots of different messages. I yeah. know that's something with our children too, trying to focus on and make sure that they do those, do yeah. those same things.
1: Middle yeah. school is a trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure it continues to change. Oh. We haven't had one in middle school for a while, yeah. but yeah. Okay,
0: that's a I, trip. I bet it is. Yeah. I bet it is. Um, geez, we've covered an awful lot. North Dakota, I, I you know, I, I've not been through, I have a vision of North Dakota. Yeah. Um, lots of grain, very flat, yep. snow 12 months out of the year. Yep. Um, you know, t- and again, like you said, you've you, you made a trip down to Memphis and, yep. and it's being completely different. Um, and now here you land in Duluth. In Duluth. What, what 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 place has really fit you and why?
1: Oh, I will say um, all the different places I've lived, bar Sioux City, Iowa, that was a tough place to live. That's a tough place to live. It, But I, I do remember some of my time there pretty fondly. It's like Memphis, I just loved. My husband and I were newly married. I was a postdoc. Um, and we met a great group of people there, and we just had that freedom to like experience the culture mm-hmm. of Memphis, which is just incredible. I deeply, deeply loved living in that city.
0: Lots of music, like all, blues music the, blues and all music. Blues yeah. music,
1: amazing food, mm, yeah. and the people are just, the people in Memphis are so incredible. Yeah. It's just such a wonderful place. Right. So I love Memphis. Um, North Dakota is always going to probably be my heart. Yeah. Western North Dakota, which is very different than Eastern North Dakota, and yeah. only people from North Dakota will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but Duluth is, you know, moving to Duluth. It's like we, Jason and I, found our community for our family, yeah. and it was it's tough being away from our families, but it's been a great place to make this our home. Yeah. So it's just been wonderful. We live in West Duluth. It's an amazing community out there. Um, and they really, the schools, you know, my kids went, go to Piedmont Elementary. We met a lot of people at that elementary through PTA, through hockey. Yeah. And, you know, the Duluth hockey culture at that, you know, those little kid levels where we're curating all those outdoor rinks, you really build a deep community and a deep family. And that's what happened for Jason and I. Yeah. 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 So excellent. So special. Yeah. Well, I've been
0: peppering you for the better part of a little over a half hour now. Yeah. So um, as we always do, allow uh, allow me to get put in the hot seat here. So a question for me that you may have.
1: A question for Nate. Um, What do you think makes what is your what do you think about you yourself that you think is really helpful in what you do as a leader like what characteristics
0: um yeah good question um you know i think back to you know growing up i grew up in a single parent household it was just you know my mom and my brother and i and um you know that's why words like grit um Mm -hmm. you know resonate with me because i watch I watched her try to provide for her two boys and manage. I think a lot of other, you know, things that she was managing in her life. That's tough work, um, yeah. right? I mean, you have two boys. It's like yeah. they're they're kind of weird creatures. Boys are so, yeah. um, and young boys in particular. So, you know, trying to manage all of that and work and and things. Um, I think it gives a leadership perspective for me that thinks about. Um, those that are struggling through different stuff, right? Um, yeah. We all have our struggles. They might be very different and, you know, with different resources, but we all have those, you know, we all have those struggles. I think, too, growing up, too, working on, on farms, family farms yeah. as well, um, I always laugh when somebody's like, you know, oh, you know, yeah. I, eight-hour day that I mean I, I, it was packed full and I'm like right. Yeah, I remember my first part-time job too eight-hour day you yeah know? I mean you know you didn't you didn't complain about work you didn't complain about um long hours um you had a respect again your notion about being around animals and how animals um can can give you a, a different perspective yeah. um you know especially with dairy farms so it was dairy cows and they're just it's, gentle creatures, you know, until they're not, until they're not. Right. <laughs> yeah. until they're not. But most of the time, I mean, yeah. gent- just gentle creatures, big, you know, the big eyes, dark big eyes, eyes and all of that. Right. I mean, it's just, they're gentle creatures. So, you know, all of that, I think from a leadership standpoint, that servant, you know, giving back, stewarding the land for me, yeah. it's really about giving back, empowering, giving back, um, you know, really, really keeping in mind everybody's individual struggles, because the work is hard. All of our work is hard. Yeah. we trying to empower and thinking about possibilities. Um, you know, the, the equity piece and the work that we do around yeah. all of that here, you know, is really, is really important to me. Having my own children put an extra emphasis on that. You know, I'm proud to be married to, you know, a tremendously strong, smart, um, uh, uh, you know, forceful uh, wife and raising a daughter who's probably even more yeah. <laughs> in that regard. And um, you know, those are those are are great moments and, and great things that I reflect back on. But leadership, I think, is just really about. You know, empowering and being there for people, listening, trying to solve issues and problems, and but you know, trying to balance it all out too. And
1: sometimes I think with leadership, it's about bringing those traits out in yourself, and then also some of those traits. Trying to like, okay, maybe we don't need to have quite that much of this trait in your personality. So, what things do you have to like control about your personality when you're trying to do this hard work and be a leader, like? I always have to be really conscious about, I'm quick to, I'm Irish, right? So a little quick to anger at times, and then sometimes a little, you know, that pride piece. So what are things that you have to work on in your personality to like, maybe go sit over there for a while?
0: I get pretty emotional pretty quickly. Um, Yeah, I do too. And not necessarily anger emotion, Mm -hmm. but just um, passion emotion. Yeah. Um, and I've had to, I've had to um, learn how to, I think, take a breath and be a little bit more even keel, just because I'm. I, I want it to be right. I'm a fixer by trade. My wife always tells a story. You know, we we bought a. This is years ago. We brought bought a glider rocker when we were first married. Yeah. Um, and the ottoman for that glider rocker was clearly the different a different color. Clearly and but i'm like well no if you push the fabric this way it, it, it you can tell it's the same color she's like no it's not right like i, I don't want i want things to be right and yeah. i want people to be happy and focused and yeah. i get really passionate and emotion about emotional about that and and sometimes i have to you know i have to set that aside like you yeah. say, just put it over here for a moment and People don't need emotion. Usually, people are coming to me with emotional things or issues that they yeah. have. So they, I can't, I can't mirror that as well, yeah. right? So, I think the emotion, the emotion piece, but balanced with being sometimes too patient. You know, being a fixer, like I'll do it myself. Yeah. Or a, a trustee member at a previous institution told me this because I was really struggling when I first became an administrator at the college level, and said. You know, Nate, it's it's your job now becomes more about helping others do their work rather than you doing all of the work. Yeah, and that's hard Um, as a leader. I want to do it because I want to get it done and I want it to be done right. And I, you know, and not that I'm always doing it the right way, but I just if I do it, then I'm accountable for it. Yeah, that kind of a thing. So. so sometimes I think others just come with that mindset all the time, too, and sometimes they don't, and those are tough conversations. But being upfront and honest and frank in a calm way, taking the emotion out of it, yeah, I think that's the that's the tough part.
1: And also I think one thing is um, important to leadership is authenticity to yourself. Like don't try to change who you are. You are who you are. Just walk in those shoes, but it's that – you know – People, I think, with leadership, I don't think there's one way to be a leader. There's a million different ways to be a leader, but I think great leaders are authentic to who they are and to a value that they hold deep in their heart. You have to figure your value out, and you have to be authentic to yourself. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, I've always said there will be college administrators who will have way more glitz and glam than me, right? I am not Mm -hmm. GQ. Um, You get what you get, Um, you know, warts and all, but you know, being passionate, being focused, being in this, in this profession of higher ed student centered. Um, you know, I, I think making decisions, being honest. And when you, when you make a mistake, be honest about it and just tell, I mean, I have to tell people, you know, I probably could have done that better. You know, I I messed up. It's vulnerable to do that, but you know, being in a culture where, you know, that can happen. And, um, you know being unapologetic about wanting to make sure we're, we're held to a high standard is really important i've told my folks i mean you know it i mean you you're yeah. you have the unfortunate uh, reality <laughs> of reporting directly to me um you know again if, if 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 i'm not doing something i said i'm going to do then tell me and creating a safe environment to do it's really yeah. hard right to walk into your boss's office and be like yeah you know what president mcdonald i think you really screwed up right, right? I mean, uh, but but I, there's there's ways to do that. And, you know, what I worry about now is I'm just working through an issue with my 17 year old or 18 year old now um, with something he's balancing with school. And, um, you know, I think the notion is I'm going to address this through my Snapchat group or, or a text or whatever yeah. else. Authentic sit down conversations, be honest, own. I've talked all about own what you need to own. Yeah. And then, and then. And then get through it, but because it's just life's too short to hold grudges and 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 yeah. not bury hatchets when you have to do it. And so, so
1: many vast majority of people are just—they have that same—you know—they're forgiving. Most people are forgiving and kind and thoughtful, and mm-hmm. so you know, allowing yourself to to take to let them for you know forgive you or, or whatever you need from other people. You have to let people. You need to give people those chances, I think, as a leader in a safe space. Yeah,
0: and I think it in times, too, where there's so many different polarizing conversations that are going on. And I think society's, you know, just kind of... Things like a global pandemic is a pretty massive thing for a globe to deal with, right? Um, Coming out of that, too, like society changes, people change. And I think just being you know, understanding and open to things and exposing yourself to things and again understanding too like there's certain things in life you don't have to understand or it doesn't have to resonate with you. Yeah. But how you choose to respect where others are at. Um, I think it, I'm learning more and more too about the Catholic intellectual tradition, you know, working yeah. here at St. Scholastica and just, you know, guising conversations through that and, and what that means as a practicing Catholic as well. I mean it's all it's just Almost. it's fascinating as yeah. a as a just a human being, it's just a fascinating time to be alive and, 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 and wrestling with those things. So I don't know. So
1: what St. Scholastica sport are you most excited I know you're excited to go to all of them right and to be that number one fan but what is really where kind of your your heart's at what sport do you really excited to see here
0: see now you're putting me in this spot where there's a no <laughs> win Kelly that's not I, it's all of them right I mean yeah. it's all of them right no I mean honestly I would say I, I, I really truly do love all sports oh for sure um, yeah you know the sports I played, right, I, I played football, I wrestled, I ran track. I didn't run track and field. I threw, threw. heavy things, yeah. right, because I couldn't run. I, I was mean, just
1: going to make yeah. that assumption. Yeah. I didn't yeah. think you yeah. were a sprinter. No,
0: was- well, <laughs> the best part about running is stopping. So, yeah. Um, um, so, you mean, know, sports I played, I'm really, you know, I, th- there's obviously yeah. interest there, right? I mean, and football is probably the one yeah. like, that I've done the most. But, you know, so you love those. Uh, volleyball mesmerizes me. Yep. Six people... Fast communicating, right, mesmerizes me. Um, hockey, the speed, the the, yeah. the contact. I don't know any of the rules. Still don't know what the hell icing is. Um, <laughs> but but that but that aspect is amazing. Yeah. You know, golf. I want to be as great of a golfer as our golf athletes here, and I'm yeah. not. So that again, watching them play tennis, never played it, but the stamina, all yeah. of that, right? Uh, Nordic skiing will be new to me this year. Yep. But I mean, watching it on TV and Olympics and things. I mean, I don't think any any athlete works harder than they do yeah my
1: husband was a Nordic skier in high school right right yep.
0: so I mean you run you run right down right and, yeah and, and and it's just I can appreciate I appreciate our student athletes I appreciate all of our students um, you know I'll go to Mousetrap trap tonight and I, I yeah you know the work the extra work and time you know our thespians put in on the yeah. stage our musicians and the work that they do I'm just I with everything that goes on in 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 in, in people's lives and students' lives, to do that extra time and to put themselves on the line and physically work hard, um, I, I respect all of that. Yeah. I respect people that that go above and beyond yep. what's expected of them. Right, and these athletes do that. These student yeah. athletes do that. Um, you know, musicians and things. So. I, I really again I'm I'm not picking one even if I had one I'm not saying it um, but uh, you know our students are are amazing yeah they are um, the ability for me to come back in this role here and um, and work really closely with students I've always been around students but the relationships are yeah. different right I was explaining to an old colleague this past weekend and asking how this role was and I told her I'm like you know being able just to pop into things. Um, because I'm expected to do that; it's part yeah. of the job, right? Because in order for me to advocate for them, I need to be around them. Yep. Um, you know, being able to do that
1: stuff is just
0: a joy. It makes the rest of the job tolerable.
1: It totally. I couldn't yep. agree with that more. I had a couple of my students from um, A.M.P. stop in. Their junior, their first year, junior nursing, first semester juniors for nursing, and that's that's just a notoriously very difficult year for. Mm nursing students. And they came to my office and just to sit with them and talk with them like that energy is just, it's like, I, I and I'm not being hyperbolic. It really is life-giving to me. It really does just give me such an amazing focus and energy and all that from students. It's, it's just so much fun. Our students are so They're just so great. Yeah.
0: And I think, you know, again, this, when you get back to leadership and connecting it to just this past little bit of the conversation here, um, I think it's our roles as leaders to help our students in particular, but even staff members across the board Mm -hmm to help them understand and know, like, you're capable of so much. Um, I shared with our incoming students last week that were here for MEA week, um, the Duke women's basketball coach talked about life – being easy or waiting for life to be easy and you know helping them understand like it doesn't get easy you no. just handle hard better yes. leaders help people understand hard better and i think that's what we get to do every day and yet you know again we we, we help students handle hard better new experiences being away from home for yeah. the first time getting smacked academically when yep. they're not used to having that happen but helping them you know find that resiliency to get through like that, that's the best part about the work that we yeah. do. But I want students and others that are listening that are thinking, you know, should I get in the leadership role? Should I yeah. not? I'm not gonna lie, right? You wouldn't either. It's hard as heck yeah. um to, to, to be a leader in anything. But you know, you're capable and you can have an impact on yes. a wide, wide variety. And as yeah. much as mowing the lawn here seems like a really good job and that I would be happy to take <laughs> yeah. at any moment. I, right now, I have, you know, and you have the, the energy, the enthusiasm, yep. the time. So, others that are listening in, thinking about that, you know, I, find ways where you can lead, find ways where you can interact. Um, if you're not in higher ed, find ways within yeah. your organization to just do a couple little extra things and get that taste. Yeah. Because um, if you're thinking about it, chances are you belong yeah. helping others handle hard better.
1: And what's been super interesting about this journey is when I, I've been on the academic side my entire career, right? And then to step into student affairs, um, I knew it was going to be a different transition. I just didn't, I have, and any of my friends in the faculty now, I'm just like, oh my gosh, student affairs, I had no idea. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just such an amazing group of people um, who are so student focused. It's fun to look at how we academics support and uplift our students and educate them and then the same things happening in student affairs just in a different way Mm -hmm. it's been so eye-opening and I really 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 like the student affairs side we have so many great things for our students Um, so many great people serving our students it's been really a great experience yeah yeah yeah
0: Yeah, it's a you know it's it's certainly a special place this podcast does have always a little bend on saint scholastica but you know the good thing is is we pump out um you know people we pump out saints that get to go in their communities so in healthcare, you know chances are if you're at a a hospital somewhere in certainly the the northern part of Minnesota, yeah. but really even throughout Minnesota, chances are a St. Scholastica yep. grad is probably providing that care. And, you know, I think being stewards of you know, the, the society that we live in. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, we're, we're, we're putting, we're putting good people out into the world, which is really important. Yeah. And we're fortunate to work with some great ones too. So. Absolutely. Sounds like a great way to end. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, again, appreciate the time and, you know, Kelly, so appreciative of you and sharing your story and just being a great leader here on campus. I mean, you're, you're one of the one of the good ones here. So, um, <laughs> Thanks, Nate. Yeah, it's good to have you here. And um, again, we'll be back next week with an Hour from Power, Tower podcast. We'll announce next week's guest here as we get through the week. But thanks for joining us here and have a great day.